Welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Today with me, we have Ali Wing, the CEO of Ubli. Uh, do not forget also to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. We have new episode every single Wednesday. Enjoy the show. Hey, Ali, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Fantastic. You know, like I'm uh, really curious, uh, you know, about the topic today, because uh, usually we look at, you know, other topics, maybe other industries, right? But I know that yours, it's uh, one that has been, you know, very, like, things change it, right? Especially in the US, right? About the topic that we're going to talk about that is sugar, right? And I'm really curious to see what you find out, right? So far, you're building and so on, right? And so very curious to see about that. But first of all, usually what I ask to every guest on is tell us a bit more about yourself, how you got into these and, and what are you building? For sure, for sure. I'm sort of personally, I'm a career brand builder. Like that's what I've done the whole time, but I'm, I've sort of specialized at the intersection of technology and healthy living. From, I started my career at Nike, um, I moved into things like healthcare, working on um, disrupting our healthcare system, and now I'm in biotech in what I would consider sort of food as medicine or food technology, where we're really trying to rethink ways to tackle big global health issues with better options within our food supply that can actually be affordable um, as well as achievable. And that's that's where I am today. So, so Ubli, which is super exciting for me, um, is probably the first time in my career when I, I feel like it's sort of all three legs of the stool fit what is great for me. It's to win in Ubli, it's all about delivering delicious, great foods. And I love great consumer brand categories like that, where you just, you honestly have to be what consumers want. But if we do that with Ubli, we're actually working on precision fermentation to unlock the benefits of, of, of what we now know are sweet proteins to actually replace sugar or sugar alternatives in most foods in a way that's sort of game changing on two fronts. It's game changing for our bodies because Proteins, we know how they work in our bodies and they're really good for our bodies. And specifically, as opposed to sugar or sugar alternatives, they don't affect our blood sugar levels and they don't affect our gut microbiome. Um, and that's a huge game changer when you look at sort of the huge global issues in front of us around obesity and diabetes, all of which, of course, are not exclusively the problem of sugar, but sugar is a, a major culprit, right? It's one of the things that's driving it. And then the other thing is, is because we're in precision fermentation and we're really looking at ways to make natural solutions mass affordable, um, this is a big climate and accessibility play because precision fermentation can allow us to take the best of hard to reach or hard to grow things in nature and make them affordable and available and do it in a way that doesn't rob the world of more resources. We can really reduce the amount of production in precious ecosystems. Um, by using uh, the plant's DNA and then actually brewing it a lot like beer or wine. That's really what we do. Very interesting. A complex subject for so, sure. Uh, I know that you are working on making it more accessible, right, to everyone, right? So something that I also love to ask, and it's about numbers, right, and statistics. Um, even before getting into the, like, ins and outs of, like, social media and influencers and so on, is there any statistics about, for example, sugar uh, that you can share with us today? There is There's some kind of amazing statistics when you step back, not just look at the U.S., but also the world at what's going on with sugar. Mm. If you survey consumers today in most markets, but I'll give you U.S. statistics, about 
three-fourths or about a little over 76% are actively working to reduce sugar in their diets for a variety of reasons. The core reason that's driving that in the U.S. today, not very different in Latin America, not very different in India a lot, not very different in Southeast Asia, is that we're about 40% pre-diabetic and obese in our countries today. Um, and forget all the aspects of what good looks like at different shapes and sizes. What we know is our bodies don't like pre-diabetic, right? So that's introducing all these new healthcare demands. And probably the most staggering statistic in it all, and this has changed so much in the last 10 years, and particularly in North America, almost 20% of our children are now. And, you know, when I was a kid, that number was barely 1%. And today it's about 20%. So the numbers are really big when you look at sort of a step back and say, what does this look like in 10 or 30 years? And you think across the globe. And I always tell people the reason I'm here doing what I do at Ubly every day is to be part of what is a mini, a multifaceted, you know, effort to sort of bend the global health curve because where we see the curve going is not a good look. Um, and that's, that's really one of the biggest statistics. The other thing I would say is that a lot of people don't realize that sugar, um, which is kind of, I think I like to think of it as like fossil fuel. It's a, it's not something we want to demonize. Sugar is actually really good. It plays a really important role in our diets. We like it, um, but we overproduce it and we're over-reliant on it today. So it's a lot like fossil fuel where we need to upgrade its role. And when you use something like a fermentation platform, you actually still use sugar as an input, but instead you brew from a different base. And so you use a lot less sugar because you don't put it into the end products to make it sweet. And the really important part about that is when you step back and look at our global climate issues, a top 10 harmful crop is sugar. And it's really a top 10 harmful crop, a lot like fossil fuel, not its inherent base, but because we grow too much of it and we grow too much of it in precious ecosystems in places that we sort of need to give back to rainforests. Makes sense. Um, and no, absolutely. I mean, I can see that, especially when it's about 20%, right? And then compared to like, you know, the 1% that was like a few years ago, it's, it's crazy to think about it. And uh, also, why do you think that the sugar alternatives, right, like the rate of, uh, let's say, the growth, right, uh, as, as a main topic uh, has been maybe a bit slower compared to others, uh, maybe other innovative industries? Is there anything specific that comes to your mind? or If you look at the aggregate of the market of sugar alternative growth, it's actually a very aggressive growth, a lot like technology has been. But if you look at any one of them, it's okay growth. And the core of that, which, you know, I've spent my career focused on consumers and how you unlock growth is consumers are confused. Consumers don't know which one is which. In today's world, we have about 50 different types of things that are classified as sugar on our labels. And generally speaking, it's fair to say consumers have kind of lost the wayfinding. They don't really know which one means which and which one is better or worse. And in a world that we're in today, which I don't have to tell you from a marketing point of view, there's a lot of lack of trust and authority around food label, government decisions, you know, all of that. So you have this sort of perfect storm of really critical need, demand that's driving overall appetite, but kind of no way to figure it out, um, or at least a lack of trust that's impeding that because it's pretty complex today. And in fact, I, I wanted to ask you that. I'm going to ask you in a bit about consumer perspective and, you know, they are more skeptical nowadays, right? So I'm going to ask you more about uh, how do you send out the message there, you know? But uh, before getting there, um, what is the, 
what is one of the most like important things that you learned so far in this industry? Either like other myths that is so happening or maybe misleading information or anything else that you, again, you learned so far uh, working specifically on this um, topic. You already captured the essence of one of my biggest lessons, which is, you know, biotechnology is complicated, but consumer products shouldn't be. (laughs) So therein is a great, um, how do we keep it simple, but introduce technology to play a role in food that is um, something that feels easy to understand um, without being, without requiring a sort of biology degree, right? So I think that's one of the hardest ones that we're working in general across food tech, not specific to sweet proteins. I would say specifically with what we're doing, and I think one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk to you today is I think the way you build trust, authority, communication, education today is largely digital, right? We 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 certainly still have a really important role person to person or in real life, but we know amplification happens on a digital format. And I think one of the complexities when you're trying to do that, introducing things that require in real life experience, like food requires eating, right, is figuring out how to maximize the education in credible ways to start to have an understanding. But the heart of it is I need to get people sampling and tasting because if you don't like it, you're not going to eat it. So I find that to be one of the greatest um, challenges where you know, we're very big on sampling programs. We're very big on working with people that can help build credibility around the conversation. But the rubber meets the road when you can eat it. So mm-hmm. building those as offline, online programs is a pretty important part. And what I would say, one of the complexities of rolling out things like food. And since you're saying now, like, you know, about the, it has to taste good, right? Because you can you can put all the nice labels you want. Is vegan, no cruelty-free and so on. But then if it doesn't taste good, like, what the point? What is your best sellers for you so far? Have you already something? I'm I'm excited to say, I mean, okay. so far we have only released chocolate because we just got our FDA, our self-grass status in January. So our first product was sort of to share an example product. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's loved our chocolate. We're very excited about it. We did a very small run. The favorite um, flavor was sea salt. Um, but I don't think... That all compare, sort of pales in comparison to what's about to come next week. And it's actually just about to come, which is our sweet teas for summer. Um, and if, if I can go off of all the, we did a lot, including with real customers um, and a lot of our sort of network, we did a lot of taste testing along the way to land these. And based on what I can see before we start to sell it, I think Mango Yuzo is going to be a hot seller for summer, um, Ubli Sweet Tea. Hey, quick break. This podcast is also by... The Influencer Marketing Factory. We are an influencer marketing agency that helps brands and companies engage with Gen Z and millennials on social media. We take care of influencer identification, storytelling, creativity, negotiation, contracting, campaign management, error analysis, in-depth reporting, code and boosting, and much, much more. Are you interested in learning more? You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or you can Google The Influencer Marketing Factory. I can see that, you know, like... Uh... Even in New York, as soon as it's getting like warm, everyone goes to Central Park and you can see everyone that basically is drinking something that is like, you know, um, sparkling water. Like there are so new products out there. So I can see why that could work, right? So you, you stay there with family, with friends, uh, you know, and uh, and it's 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 might be a really good hit. What make you wanted to go into that, like, and and expand? Was it mostly for the summer? So something clicked, and you were like, "Let's do something on the beverage side." Did you study the 
the, the, the competition ready and understood there was like an opportunity there? How, how did you come up with that idea? No, it's a great question. When we were really talking, this Ubly has been an R&D company for the last seven years. So this is our first year to be commercial. And when we talked about what we wanted to build sort of as a product, we could, sugar's in 75% of all foods today. So there's lots of category places. We stepped back and we said, where do we need to play? And our plan always was to start in beverages. Mm -hmm. The reason, I'll tell you why we did chocolate in the short term. Yeah. Um, but the reason we did Beverages is really because when you step back and look at this global issue of mm. obesity and diabetes or the role of sugar in those big health issues, 40% of our daily added sugar intake happens in what we drink. So we sort of drink our sugar problem today. And that's actually globally true. So we knew that sort of the 800-pound gorilla of where to tack, sort of tackle the problem first would be in beverages. We did a bunch of research with consumers, and what we found the most sort of interesting global trends. It's what's happening with teas from boba tea to sweet teas to um, sort of more caffeine option, optional um, choices from coffee. And so we just think there's a really ripe territory there, which is why we're excited to introduce our sweet teas. Um, the main reason we did chocolate is we can do any product. We're working with several companies in addition to our own products working on others. So we've and everything from dairy products to uh, ice creams to uh, chocolates um, is we knew that to debut sweet teas, it would probably be better to launch it as a summer thing. And we were we ended up getting the right to actually sell products right before Valentine's Day from the FDA. Wow. So we figured, why don't we go out with something that's fun for Valentine's? So we did a small chocolate run just to introduce the idea of sweet proteins. It was the first time we were allowed in the market to actually sell products. Um, but our big launch was always planned for a big summer unveil of sweet teas. Nice. Good luck with that. Uh, and Thank you. Curious to, to test it myself and try it out. And, uh, you know, talking also like, you know, again, getting people together, the importance of having people that tell you, um, hey, did you know about this, right? A lot of times people nowadays get those information through social media, right? Uh, through influencers and content creators, but also experts and professionals, right? That are not anymore just a lifestyle that talks one day about the, the the new sneakers that they bought and one day about beauty and makeup and one day hey this about sugar right you want also professionals how are you using influencer marketing these days and social media how do you combine them together specifically as we said before a lot of users and consumers nowadays are a bit skeptical right there's so much offering out there they're confused they don't know how to read labels and also we are in a situation where like you know with this shaking markets that people have to sometimes maybe save money on things so they want yep. to wisely what is your approach when it comes to that there isn't anything that i'm doing that's more important than building authority and advocacy at a digital level and i'm very dependent upon that with experts and the reason for that is you don't really care what Allie thinks of her own tea right like that's not very persuasive um and in absence of me letting you handing it to you and letting you drink it the best place for me to do that is to build credible third-party sources to be out testing it and that's a combination of things and and i know you know this it's uh experts we're we're put in place um strategic advisory boards where these are people that we don't just want to be able to be somebody that press could talk to or a consumer could talk to or we could put in a panel we also want their feedback right mm -hmm. and there's three really important categories where we're trying to make sure we have really credentialed people's feedback we need healthcare feedback because 
actually what we want to stand for with sweet proteins is all the goodness that can come from sort of solving your sweet tooth with proteins. And that's a healthcare topic, right? Um, second is foodies and chefs. You know, at the end of the day, nobody would, nobody in my personal network would say, oh, Allie's an awesome chef, right? So it's always better to go out. You know, that would be my husband in my house um, to find people that are already trusted as they know what good taste is and they can start to share the honest feedback. And then the third um, beyond foodies and health is we are talking a lot of experts around the climate impact to make sure whatever we do in this, we actually really like how it delivers all the way through the sort of eco chain because um, it's an important part of being in precision fermentation. Important in that, though, is not just the who. We then have influencers, a whole variety, ambassadors to what I'd say paid influencers, and they run the gamut um, where we're probably focused on people that have smaller audiences that are very engaged and they have some particular credible voice. For example, we use um, a lot of little pockets throughout the country of nutritionists where they have strong followings of people that are trying to do better with their diet. And we let them use products. We also don't tell them they have to like it, right? So we take the risk of honest feedback. We give it to them and we let them do blind taste testing. They do reviews against it. They put it in product. And sometimes they don't love it, right? But that's a really important part of the credibility and the authority building is being really comfortable with all the types of sort of what I would say user-generated or paid-generated content to keep it very real. The statistics would tell both of us that it's better to have a four-star review that is, you know, hundreds of people and you, and you show the bad reviews too. That's a much more credible storytelling. So we're pretty open to that. I have to tell you as the founder, CEO, the person who's out there sort of blood, sweat, and tears, when I hand it over for a blind taste test, it always makes you nervous, right? Because, you know, you, you want everybody to love your product. The fact is no product today in food is loved by everybody because we're all kind of spoiled. We have lots of choice and taste and segments. So the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to be very transparent, incredible with a great product, with a great solution that has a great following. And that comes from the full range of statistics. Something that works nowadays on social media for you and what doesn't. Is there anything that you, <laughs> but, you know, because what is interesting is that many uh, brands out there, they think that they already know, oh, this is the content is going to work. But then actually data shows you that sometimes you push two different type of content. One is maybe more educational with a certain type of format and the other one is a bit more, let's say, silly entertaining uh, that is a bit shorter, you know? And sometimes you might be shocked by the results. So what is, uh, what is your case here? Have you identified something that works and something that you're like, you know what, we tried, better to stay away from that? I think we're still early, right? Because we're only a few months in. So I guarantee you, I haven't learned all of our lessons yet. Yeah. We're going to, we, we're paying a lot of attention to which works and which doesn't. What I can tell you, absolutely doesn't work is just a unabashed promotion, right? If we just stand there with our chocolate bar up and have somebody, whoever it is, say, this is awesome, that is a waste of our time and content, yeah. right? So um, that doesn't surprise me, but I will tell you because you make it available to people that, that put content out that you don't control. If anybody kind of doesn't add, they don't work, mm -hmm. right? So that's that's for sure. The best that's working for us so far are what I would kind of call two types. One is what I, I call makers. Um, so people showing interaction with the product. So mm. let's say with our sweet teas, um, a lot of people like to turn them into a cocktail mixer, right? So right. 
how, what are all the different ways to do mocktails or cocktails with a sweet tea blend? Hmm. Um, because it becomes interactive and it becomes a how-to. Um, with our chocolates, um, we saw a lot of that, particularly from nutritionists, on how to take sweet, a sweet protein chocolate has 70% less sugar than a typical chocolate bar. Um, and you, people are, who are following those dietitians are trying to be healthy. How do you have your awesome little, let's say, yogurt and berries in the morning with a little sprinkle of chocolate that's so low in sugar it's worth adding for the fun? Um, we saw a lot of love in that kind of um, topic. So I, I would say the makers are a strong one. And the other one is what you and I both know. I always say it's kind of the magic that you can't put in a bottle. It just happens when it happens, which is either really authentic um, experience or, or entertaining. Um, we had really fun um, <laughs> early sweet tea. We haven't released it yet because um, we're just launching the product next week, but um we had some very fun discovery with some people with sweet teas um, that ended up with their pets all absolutely trying to get at their drinks. Um, and so there's a whole series of very funny pets trying to get a lick of the sweet tea. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're fun. They're fun like any other part of um, what we know works on content today, which is people still like entertainment. Absolutely. And, and as you said, sometimes you even know what is going to go viral, what works, right? You have just to put everything out there and then the consumers and the users are going to choose, right? You, you never know what is going to happen. So um, I also wanted to ask you this. So we said before there are three different categories, right? Of, of the type of personas, right? What are the main differences when you work with each of them? What have you, have you noticed? Uh, I'm pretty sure there are going to be some differences, right? Out there because the people are professionals. Uh, uh, maybe they're doing more, you know, some, some professionals, especially in the healthcare, they, only started recently to go public, uh, you know, and, and working on those. Uh, um, so how do you approach that also? Like, uh, what is a different uh, type of, like, you know, uh, relationship with them and also the type of content that they usually produce? That's a great question. And you, I think you and I both know every six to 12 months, it's kind of changing too, right? Like, even on the paid influencer side that sort of have affinity communities that aren't necessarily a technical expert like healthcare, the amount of that that's just cash paid versus two years ago is wildly different, right? So that's changing really quickly. Um, healthcare is a really good one that's a good example, and I'll use that as well as the science one. As the most common ones when I get those technical experts is they don't want to endorse a product, right? Yeah, right? And that makes a ton of sense, right? Like their credibility isn't really about selling a product. So we have to approach those very differently, and we tend to use them more around what I would say it's not – Social, men, social media friendly first level content, it might be what somebody can dig into, right? So they will be our blog expert. They will be the person that we bring to an advisory panel format that when we give a headline on a fun little interactive on how to use the product, the person that wants to go check the authority on it is going to click into it and find our experts in it, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just us talking about either the science or the health. Um, but they tend to not be the one that is necessarily going to get people starting to interact with us, right? And that's because we have to kind of have a respect for church and state of um, what's the content versus are you promoting a product? That's pretty typical in our world, particularly for our scientists and for our doctors. Um, and we do a lot of long form media and, and deep dive expertise with them. And they're a really important part of it, um, but they kind of play a different role in the funnel. Um, I, I would say the other thing that we're, we're finding is um, there is some really, I don't think we've unlocked it completely, but I'm excited about it. 
there is this sort of like the communities that Twitter first started to build where they were, they sort of took you out of social and they, and they took you sort of just out of entertainment or advocacy and they created a, a more exchange or, you know, not one-to-one, but one-to-twenty relationship where there could be more interaction. What I find is health is really a passionate topic and so is food and so are things like trying to get at diabetes, diabetes and obesity. And there's a lot of little mini um, ecosystems where there's lots of deep relationships that are kind of membership-like. Um, and what I think is going to be really important for us is giving ways for those groups to have access and membership. And I think a lot of that for us is really making sampling very available to them, making those little groups have access to our experts. Um, and we'll use those pretty differently than we do just say go out and have somebody that's a nutritionist with a good following just show somebody a great recipe with one of our products. Um, and that I think is early territory, but probably the one I'm most excited about. At the end of the day, I believe the best brands have followership because they see themselves in those brands and that's membership, right? So we're, I, I would say sort of Web 3.0 is kind of all about, you know, owning it yourself, right? And actually be making the market. And and I, I think there's interesting ways that showing up, particularly as we intersect with good food and good health. Absolutely. Also, you were talking now about, you know, community, right? And Web 3.0 and so on. I wanted to ask, I know that you already said that before, that you prefer to have like, you know, four out of five stars because it's like, you know, it also um, add in real authentic feedback, right, from people. So I wanted to ask you this. If, uh, first of all, if you do use like, you know, this type of feedback and, and how, like, for example, have you run maybe, or do you want to run like a sentiment analysis to analyze, for example, which one are the flavors that people like the most, or also, for example, to get in, in as a feedback so that next time that you create something new maybe you can be like you know what we listen and you know we i don't know, like we produce these what is your approach there and what are some of the plans when it comes to again combining together influencer marketing social media experts plus their followers and community we're already pulling our market from our pre-launch with chocolate mm -hmm. for feedback and we take all of our reviews and they go right into our product development. So I will tell you when we launch now our true launch for chocolate, that'll come out this fall, it will have additional SKUs, it will have some slight changes, and we'll be adding milk chocolate. That's all based on consumer feedback. And okay. I did like consumer insights and focus groups and feedback cycles before we brought it to market, but always the more powerful one is to get the product out and start listening to consumers. So we do that already. I would say we have... Um, pretty interesting feedback and like what we're going to do. So an example is we went out, we weren't positioning our chocolate as high fiber. It happens to be because when you take out all of the bulking of sugar, the sugar plays two roles in a chocolate bar, right? The sweetness, but also the bulking. And we put acacia fiber in. So it turns out that our chocolate bars are three times the amount of fiber, which is an upside. It makes it that much more friendly to your body. But we were really focused on talking about the sweet proteins. What we figured out is people really want to know more about the fiber and have that conversation. And so when from actually how we do the product as well as how we market it and even some flavor options we're going to give are very responsive to this whole category that gave us that feedback. So that's a really good example. What we're doing for teas, and I will tell you, I, I, I haven't, these aren't live. We don't control what they are. We control if we air them or not. But we actually went out to, I think, 28 different um, 
food expert chef, some with big digital followers, some without. And we sent them essentially a blind taste test kit. And we set a, 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 you know, the ask was, and they got paid to video record their blind taste tests and their results. And we've reviewed them all. And they actually went in to how we're going to release um, the teas. And we're going to post a lot of those. Um, and so that was a big one too, because we didn't lock our final formulas until we actually went out and put it into the hands up against, you know, alternative products. And we just got, without telling them anything about what we were doing, honest feedback. Wow. So that affected our final formulations. Um, I bet we're just scratching the surface here. We're, we're pretty by DNA. It's all about the consumer. Every, everything I've done since coming in and joining the technical team that built the science is just restructure the company around the consumer and their feedback. <laughs> and I think someday I think they should be driving the pipeline of products. What's next, right? If there's so many different products we can do, consumers should probably tell us which ones are the next most important. Because even thinking drinks, sweet teas is a tiny part of a very, very big category of beverages. So um, yeah, more to do there, more to do. But something that's pretty core to how we make any of our product decisions. Nice. Yeah, I mean, not many people realize the power of feedback from social media because, you know, when you go on TV, radio, yeah, maybe it helps for brand awareness, but you have about unilateral communication. Like, actually, I just say unilateral shout out, you know, about something. You don't have communication. You don't have a bilateral, like, you know, uh, relationship with people. While, you know, if you go on social media, you have your product out, But as you said, you know, you have real-time feedback. You can understand what people like, what they don't like. And sometimes you get a perspective that you maybe you didn't even think about, right? Up to that moment, you're like, oh, actually people, you know, like this more. And it was not even a priority. But now we're going to make it a priority because at the end of the day, they are the one that without customers for a brand like, you know, it's, it's not important. All, all the efforts are, you know, not on you that you're the founder, you can like your own product, of course, you know, by the end of the day, you need, you need the people, right? Drinking in, so, um, and eating your product, absolutely. So, very interesting. And uh, um, since you said also that before, we were saying also now about, you know, anytime that you do a blind taste and there's someone next to you, like you're like always, you know, a bit, a bit like, you know, shaking there, like, oh, what is gonna happen? Tell me some of the others, uh, please, uh, challenges. One, as an entrepreneur, uh, and two, as a marketer, because there are two different things. But if we should uh, start with, uh, let's start, actually start from the uh, marketer, because we are talking about social media, then I'm really curious to know what are the challenges as an entrepreneur building something like this. I love that. And I'll add, we should do one third one to that and say, and also as a marketer, entrepreneur in the category of sugar, sugar reduction has some really interesting Absolutely. complexities. So as a marketer, I would say today, you, you know this, um, I have been through a lot of change in how this world has evolved, mm. right? And you're trained at a DNA level to sort of build it all around the consumer, but the mechanisms for doing that continue to change at a very rapid rate. So an example that I would say that's just hard in marketing today, what's been hard for a long time has been multi-touch attribution and figuring out which part of your channels contributed, which part of the funnel. But we've all been working on that for some time. So that feels just more like the system and maturing that's still true for everybody because you have to be, with pretty unstructured data, you have to be able to be very flexible across a lot of platforms to really understand which drove what and where sort of how to follow the bouncing ball, if you will, in terms of what you learned. 
that's still true, but not what keeps me up at night. I think what's harder right now is you see much more mass pendulum swings going on that are completely not really about marketing, but they affect the marketing channel. An example would be TikTok. Look at the politics around TikTok. Look at what's going on, US and China or anything else. So meanwhile, back over here, you've just got a channel where people are engaging, but it's changing so quickly because of macro changes that have very little to do with the marketing initiative. And I think that's affecting things in ways that we just haven't seen before now, right? In the last five years, I would say we've seen big ones. You could, you could, you could say some of the same thing with Elon Musk and Twitter, right? And all that that has done. So um, right when you've sort of got the model, you're seeing the big adjustments. And some of those now aren't really coming out of business efficacy for those channels. They're coming out of macroeconomic change that's happening across countries. Um, and I think that's complex and it's different than it was when I was earlier in my career. So as a marketer, I think that's the unique complexity. Um, as an entrepreneur, I think um, probably two or three things. The first is when you're, when you're truly disrupting and innovating, sometimes you're ahead of what the consumer even knows they need. Mm. So finding that balance of listen versus lead is that much more germane, right? So as a marketer, you always have some of that because you're building around consumer and trying to inspire and delight. But when you're at the tip of an industry's transformative capabilities, like what we can do with biotechnology couldn't even be done five to six years ago, right? So it's still new for a lot of people. What I find is most my consumers don't need to know most of the newness. They don't really know the how. They're just, they just, they want to know what matters to them. Um, but it is finding that balance of how much you push the, the novel versus how much you listen to what they're asking for. Um, and even within our world, that I think is complicated. Um, I would say the second thing as an entrepreneur is, uh, Well, you, you've seen over the last few months all the changes in capital structure in venture space specifically. And I'm very much in a venture capital-backed environment. So whether it's debt and banking and all the changes that are going on there, or it's the rising tide or dropping tides of venture cycles, our innovation model, if there's a consumer demand that's already big and growing, has to just kind of navigate through those highs and lows. And so the capital structure, capital options, valuation cycles um, are just something that be out of complexity as you're building today. And that, that's, that, I would say, is also at a heightened level than it, than it used to be. It's always been true at some level, but mm. it's only getting more extreme highs and extreme lows, I would say. And that's complex. Um, I will add that a third thing that's unique specifically for this category as an entrepreneur is that sugar or sugar reduction or proteins all you could say maybe go from a happy to negative to positive sort of cultural associations they're rife with cultural associations so the moment you bring any of those up words that consumers use whatever the format if i'm doing social if i'm getting feedback if i'm doing reviews they're pulling words from their other experiences. You can, you can see them because you can see patterns of them that might have very little to do with what you're doing. Um, but there's such strong cultural associations around this because this battle of health, fitness, um, the bulge, um, all of those things are pretty culturally complex topics. 
and they're very personal, um, but they, they have a lot of common and known language around them. So what I see that comes to this category a lot is a lot of preformed associations by analogy. Some analogies might be relevant. Some might have almost nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, and that shows up a lot. The example that I will give you is there's been so many sugar alternatives, right, in the last few years. And there's a lot of fear in that right now, right? We started out thinking aspartame was good. Now we have different data. You could say the same thing's happening with erythritol right now. So there's sort of this jarring fear about that. Um, what you tend, though, is when you're in things like it's a category of sugar alternatives, unless you're in the sciences, you don't really know this. Sugar alcohols have some particular relationship with what everybody's working on in gut microbiome. You know how you can't, can find everything that's pre or probiotic today, right? We're all trying to get at the balance. Um, and the reality is, is when you're talking about proteins, they don't, they're not in the gut. Like they don't go to the gut. So, but the moment you kind of just get in the sugar conversation, people just associate them. And that's because it's complicated, right? So these words now kind of swirl in association. Um, and all of that underscores what I think we talked about at the beginning, which is um, it's not just scientifically complicated because it's healthcare topics. It's also culturally complicated. Um, and in that, I think, is just that constant mandate to keep it simple and keep it easy um, because that's where you're going to win with consumers. Yeah, uh, the cultural part, uh, it's, it's, you know, you can have, again, you know, the best product out there, but it's not easy for people to change their mind, you know, after many years of a certain type of either propaganda or like because you're you always thought that that was the right answer even if it wasn't right but it's difficult right to, to change opinion on something so and for sure and, and thank you for sharing uh, the different categories right here right so marketers uh, and entrepreneurs and more on the uh, sugar reduction uh, is there anything else today to start wrapping up on this episode today that i haven't asked you that uh, Either, you know, you would love to talk about anything that is, excites you, maybe even about the future of this, uh, you know, industry. Anything else that, uh, again, you know, I, I didn't ask you, but I would like to add. Yeah, no, I think probably the thing that I haven't talked enough about that I want to talk about is why sweet proteins are such a potential game changer for us. And that's a lot of people don't realize almost everybody we survey trusts protein in the same way that they love sugar, but aren't sure they understand sugar, right? Um, and I want to unpack that just a bit for people because it's a worthwhile conversation to understand that half of our bodies are made up of protein. And we just have hundreds, if not thousands of years of medical knowledge on proteins. What we didn't know, and that's what's exciting about what you're seeing in food tech and what Oobly is an example of, is we're now finding solutions from nature Sweet proteins come from berries and fruits in West Africa and Southeast Asia. They evolved with humans, right? And they evolved to solve the problem of how do you give somebody that appeal in their mouth, but be easy on the plant in that case, and in our case, easy on our bodies. That's kind of the perfect solution for today's problem. The irony is it's been out there in nature the whole time. We just have new tools now to go find it. And what I think I, when I get really excited that's when I get the most excited is that intersection between the gift of what nature keeps giving us and the ability to unlock its access with technology. And sweet proteins is a really great example um, because it's biologically normal and good that we love sugar because that's how we actually survived and evolved as a species. 
That's how we sought out energy sources. So nobody should feel guilty about that. We're just not designed to have the amount of it consumed um, the way it is in our food system today. So we need to look back to nature again and um, think about a better way. Uh, and that's what I think sweet proteins are all about. Interesting. Well, uh, you gave me an interesting input and also for anyone listening, right, to maybe start some start, like, you know, some analysis or just Googling around. I know that it's not the best thing just to Google alone sometimes when it comes to science, but at least maybe it might be a, a good starting point, right? So um, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. We uh, uncovered many things, right, from like science and the importance of understanding uh, this topic to how you use social media and influencers and content creators and experts, right? And then we went through like, you know, challenges as marketers and so it's, it's very packed, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, people will find it uh, very useful to look at a different, uh, different perspective and angles, right, and point of view. So uh, I hope you enjoyed also, like, you know, uh, being with, uh, with us today. Um, that said, Absolutely. best of luck with the new launches for the teas. Thank you. Up soon. We'll get some sweet teas out to you, I promise. Thank you so much for that. And uh, this was the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. I'll see you next week. Thank you.